2: G'day folks and welcome to the Encounters Down Under podcast. I'm your host Anthony Goodall and I invite guests to the show to share their amazing encounters with aliens and UFOs. If you or someone you know has had an encounter Down Under or anywhere in the world for a new segment in Encounters Unbound, please get in touch with me via the Encounters Down Under Facebook page or email at australianufosightings at outlook.com.au. Be sure to join the Encounters Down Under Facebook page and YouTube channel where you can also get involved during the live stream interviews, sharing your thoughts and opinions during the live show. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to give us a rating or review on your favourite listening platform. But anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get into what you've been waiting for. Kick back and relax with your favourite beverage and enjoy the show. G'day folks and welcome to another episode of Encounters Down Under. We welcome Kim to this episode who had what most would consider a terrifying moment as a child with a possible reptilian being and witnessing many strange objects in the sky over the years. She even created an online community, GOSH, or Gatherings Over Strange Happenings, providing a safe environment for experiences of the unknown, as well as being the author of the Waking Wisdom books, which is available from reputable retailers. So please welcome to the show, Kim. G'day, Kim. Welcome to the show.
3: Hi, Anthony. Good. Great to be here.
2: Oh, it's great to have you on. Thanks for joining me. Um, look, you've had some amazing experiences there throughout your lifetime when we were talking there, and look, you've um, even created your own little bit of community as well as um, some, uh, some books as well. Um, can you, like, run us through your whole life story, basically, and go us, and tell us about how you got to where you are today?
3: Oh, I'll give it a whirl. It'll take me a while, I think, but yes, sure. Look, I always could hear voices um, going back to preschool, so I'm clairaudient and I don't hear unpleasant voices. I just like to say straight off um, I receive instruction more often than not. But even as a little girl, I would hear voices calling my name quite often. And I guess I'll start off, um, I used to have as a really tiny child a recurring dream of something big and green like a crocodile uh, watching me and waiting to get me was what I felt like. So it was a recurring nightmare of mine as a child. And it wasn't until I was about 11 or 12 that, that kind of made sense. Um, I was playing with a friend in a paddock near my family home. And my friend was down the bottom of the paddock. It was it was a steep paddock, very steep, and very enclosed. It had a creek down the bottom. And I'd climbed up to around the halfway mark. And I was, you know, as kids do, I was in my own little world wandering along up, slowly going upwards. When I suddenly was aware that I was looking at a leg straight ahead of me, um, no more than about two metres away, it was quite close. And even though it was close, I was staring at its knee level. And I just came to a stop to stare at this knee, um, which had some sort of boot on it that went over the knee. And the boot was the same colour, everything on it was the same colour. It was, we'll start off right here, it was green. Um, and I sort of slowly worked up my way, you know, up the body that I was looking at. I sort of looked at the thigh and um, there was no clothing, I don't think, on the th- on the thigh. Uh, but what was really stand out was that muscle development. And we're talking about a little girl, like I'm 65. So this was in the late 1960s. So um, I hadn't sort of seen bodybuilders on mountains of steroids, but that's what this looked like. And I just kept slowly looking up. I don't remember much about the lower trunk area, um, other than it was clothed in something close fitting. And I became aware of the arms hanging next to the trunk and that the right hand held some longish object that I didn't know and the hand fitted into the end of that object. Otherwise, the arms were bare and, again, extremely muscular. And I got up to the chest level and I just sort of stopped there because... I wasn't even sure if there was a covering or if this was skin or what it was. I had never seen anything like what was on this chest or this chest was. i would never known the difference. Um, So it it just stalled me. And my brain actually stalled. Like there was nothing that it could find as a comparison. So it took me a minute and I gave a mental shrug and, and kept looking up. And I remember there was little or no neck and a thin slash for a mouth and nothing much for a nose, the nostrils. I can remember thinking the nostrils weren't quite right somehow. And then I got to the eyes and we just locked eyes because he had bright orange oval-shaped irises that had um, diamond-shaped black pupils. And time actually stopped. It just stood still in and around me. There was nothing but me and these incredible eyes that I was looking at. and when our eyes met, the creature that I was looking at realised I could see it and I was flooded with information telepathically. There weren't any words, just complete concepts. And it was as horrified that I had seen it as I was. It had thought itself invisible Um, and it was for it and me, a terrible mistake apparently, It had simply been watching two children play. The first thing it put in there though, was that it wouldn't hurt me, that that it wasn't going to hurt me, that it had just been watching us play. And so the overall feeling after that was was one of shock. You know, both of us were a bit pollux by it, I think. And I can't have been staring at it for very long before, like a switch, I suddenly became aware of the voice of my friend, and she was still chatting some distance from me. And I can remember I slowly turned my head to see her, you know, to sort of uh, to see if she could see this incredible thing too. Um, and when I looked back, it had disappeared entirely. Um, she hadn't seen it. She said she had, but I knew she hadn't because nobody would have kept talking and walking if they'd seen it. Um, and looking back, I worked out even allowing for the very steep slope of the paddock, it had to be about seven foot tall at least. It was huge. And, you know, it was actually quite beautiful. And so I had never heard of reptilian aliens um, and I didn't hear about them until, gosh, a long, long, long time later I'd told close friends about this. Um, Yeah. Uh, And so at some stage I thought, well, that's a reptilian alien. Um, that I'd come across as a child and it wasn't part of my family's history. Um, My family believed me. I I was um, always known as a very truthful child and they knew I'd seen something. They just didn't know what. I can remember my father suggesting it was a Yowie um, and I was like, no, no hair. (laughs) I found out what Yowies look like because, you know, that had to be researched too. So I just, The closest thing was a reptilian alien. And and really I've kept that definition until the last couple of years when I have actually changed what I think I came across. Um, I'll leave that for a bit later in our discussion perhaps. Look, over the next decade or so I'd visit that paddock and I could always sense when it was there and when it wasn't and it was obvious to me that it had a way of being there and I think that there's always been in my head an understanding that there's an entry point to another dimension in that area where I met it. Um, I don't think I thought about it much as a child, it's just I knew it came and it went and that somehow it could get there without a ship I think is probably what I was thinking. I think that once, even though I'd had unusual things prior to that, um, psych, you know, a few psychic things, the clear audience stuff, you know, instructions on from adult voices. Oh, my! Fa- one of my favorites was being a little girl and playing with coloured pieces of paper in the back in the bathroom. Um, coloured squares of paper, and without me touching them, they would suddenly all shift around really, really fast, and it, and a different colour would be on top of the pile and. And it was delightful. I was thoroughly entertained. And um, I stopped and I thought, I'll, I'll go and tell my mum to come and watch this. And it, at that point, a totally adult voice said to me, if you do that, it won't happen. And so I stayed and watched it for a bit longer and then I couldn't resist because I adored my mum and I thought she'd love it. And I went and got mum, of course, and she came back. And and as I'd been told, it certainly did not happen. And I got my first... Um, uh, talk about the nature of hallucination, um, and she didn't know about the voice, um, just the papers moving. So that's when I learned sometimes you have to be quiet about the wonderful things that happen to you. Very <laughs> yeah. good. Um, but, yeah, I'm not very quiet anymore, I'm afraid. But, yeah, I I think that seeing that creature created what's called ontological shock, um, And it makes you examine your worldview, all the beliefs you have. So I was also at that age where your brain literally physically starts to hardwire things in and jettisons a lot of magical thinking for children. So for me, magical thinking didn't get jettisoned, I guess would be the best thing. And it didn't get jettisoned because I'd had proof that magic existed. And I continued on throughout life I have seen... um, Multiple, you know, UFOs of the sort that are high in the sky and very fast moving, um, you know, which is personally thrilling, but not much to to share in that sense. I've had one um, really good one with my husband. We lived in the in the um, high country, and we went for it was a hot, I think it was a hot night. We went for a walk around midnight, and there were these there were these lights coming up from the river, which was, again, the road, you know, it was quite a drop down to the river and lighting up the cliffs at the other side of the road. And as we got closer, I could just feel it just wasn't right. And I said, and he was sort of hurrying and I said, no, slow down. And as I felt that, obviously it was felt back, um, that I was aware that they were there, that something was there. And this is so hard to describe and and so many things along these lines are because we don't have vocabulary for it but the lights began to move back down towards the river and they did it didn't the light didn't behave how light as you and I would normally know it 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 was as though somebody was reeling it in like it was on a fishing line Um, so that the light was contained somehow and it didn't Um, diffuse out into the surroundings, it just slowly came back. It was extraordinary. And then um, something shot up from the the riverside and literally came to just a momentary halt for me. I I saw something there for just a moment before it then took off up into the sky at a rate of knots that we were both just mind blown. And The interesting thing for me is you wonder after a while how much you get to think about some things because we never went the next day to check out beside the river where that happened and it intrigues me that we didn't in retrospect. You know, was there some sort of command that we weren't to that we aren't even aware of? Um, And I'll say that because I've also got um, a great US post story with... Which happened later in life. Um, I would have been in my late teens, I think. And when I was around 40 odd, I was out with my family and mum and we were talking about the X-Files and actually talking, my sister, they were talking about you know me having seen something strange in the paddock when I was a kid. And joking about the X-Files, and did I have any little marks, which I do actually, but yeah, we won't go there yet. And my mother just leant across the table to me and she said, don't you remember, do you remember coming home and telling me about the UFO hanging right over your head? And I started to say no when in my mind I saw it and she and I both said together everything underneath it was turning around and around and there was a bright orange rim and... It was just it flooded back and talk about a shock because I spent the rest of the day just thinking, how could somebody who's had so many unusual experiences have totally, completely and utterly forgotten something like a UFO hanging right over her head? My next memory of that from the point of looking up and it was there, it was silent. Everything underneath was turning um, when there were like metal flanges that went back to a middle point and then the whole thing was rimmed with an orange light. The orange light was going clockwise and the other was going anti-clockwise, one or the other, but they were going in different directions. And the next thing I remember is being halfway up the hill to home. And I can remember going into the kitchen and telling mum, and then I think I went and had a sleep and that's it i don't remember i didn't remember it again we never talked about it from that day till when i was 40 and i've wondered whether mum had the beginnings of dementia and i have wondered whether in some way that process in her brain of of dementia had unlocked a portion that somehow had got Shut down. That we weren't allowed to talk about this, and we weren't allowed to remember it. Yeah. Um, mm, mm, it's intrigued me whether it was because she had dementia, she was able to remember it. So yeah, that's my missing time one, and I think there's a I reckon there's an hour or two missing there from when I saw it and when I kind of was back on the way up the hill, just walking. Yeah, I was about to ask
2: that, seeing if uh, like how much time difference was between.
3: Yeah, well, I think it's around the two-hour mark. What worked out. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's she... yeah, so that was that was a good one. Um, yeah. Just
2: before we go and continue, I'm just gonna um, just let everyone know that um, you do have Kim has a bit of construction going around. So that beeping noise you're hearing in the background there is not your stereo or anything that's going on. Um, <laughs> so just you know, there is construction there. You've Got some machines working there with the reverse beepers going off. Um, yeah. So,
3: and it's not EVP or IVP, suffer or anything along those lines. No, it's just Dan Murphy's being built next door.
2: <laughs> that's convenient. Oh, that's good. Can't complain with Dan Murphys right next to
3: you. <laughs> it'll be a busy place. That's for sure.
2: It will. I'm sure I get the yeah uh, the weekly visit there from you guys, no doubt.
3: Oh no, no. We oh, my husband's tea tyler, and I very rarely drink. so no. Oh. No. <laughs>
2: I can't make use of that then. Oh, well. <laughs> no.
3: no, no, we won't. It's funny.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, bugger. That's all good. Yeah. Um. So, look, with, with the reptilians, like obviously, like, reptilians uh, aren't very often spoken of these days, and it's not something you can very get many people who have these kind of experiences. there. Like, was that, the, like, obviously, we haven't gone all through your experiences yet, but, like, that's, do you have, like, another occurrence of them throughout history with the reptilians?
0: With
3: reptilians? um. I, I, like I said, I was connected to that creature. I think that's how I can understand, well, I could go a bit further and un, how I could understand when it was there and not there and how I can understand was because it opened this psychic link um, and it also means I can feel into any ship that I do see whether the, what the intent is there, whether it's, you know, pleasant or not pleasant, I think. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, that feeds into the the famous um, Kelly Carl case. Yeah, yeah, which we actually had an experience in the same area earlier in the same night that that happened. Oh to wow! Her. Yeah, yeah. Because her case, her
2: on... case is quite scary when um, going through that story. Yeah,
3: yeah, it is, isn't it? With the big red eye stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. Just
2: suddenly, just in front of them, like you're like just instant, like straight in front of them, like yeah, yeah, that, that's horrible.
3: yeah yeah really scary stuff and and how do you put this even though something can be quite terrifying it's only because we don't it's often because not because it's actually a threat it's simply that we've got no frame of reference for it this is what I mean by ontological shock you know I know she um I can remember she said something about she was quite religious She'd had a religious upbringing or something. so she went straight for demonic because of the red eyes Yeah, and yeah. but it doesn't necessarily mean that's demonic if you... do you follow? Yeah, 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 absolutely.
2: Well, it's like you see an animal in the nighttime, like with the uh, the eyes reflecting back on light, you know that's nothing to say they're yeah. demonic, it's just the way their eyes are
3: the way that that's right yeah and my late father-in-law who had an eye injury you know you take any photo of him when i was red
2: oh <laughs> well, in that case too like every, every time we use a flash on the camera everyone's got demonic eyes <laughs> yeah
3: yeah exactly exactly but you can see how it's something that's way out of left field you're gonna it's a fear response you know fear that's right. is it is part of it yeah and i guess, i so, suppose yeah. to
2: um like as as humans like we we fear what we don't understand
3: Yes, exactly. And we're trained to fear what we don't understand. So, yes, yes, that's exactly the response we have, unfortunately. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. so where are we going to go with that next? When I um, remembered that UFO thing, I actually, it really bothered me, It really deeply concerned me that I couldn't remember it and then suddenly the whole thing was back, you know, and I had a nightmare about it that night after I'd, well, it wasn't a nightmare but it was a fairly unpleasant dream where, I was taken by two men in a car um, in this dream and two up to a house. I can remember going down the driveway and it almost did a, a U-turn to go back up the hill in a slightly different direction and a pond at the bottom of this drive. You know, it was so clear, all of it. And we were I was taken there. There was another woman there and the house was just covered in blood. Some woman had died in there and we were there to clean up all the blood. And we did. And then I walked out onto the veranda. So this is a dream, the night that I remembered the UFO over my head. I walked out onto the veranda in the dream to have a cup of tea when we'd finished cleaning. And a UFO, this was again on a hill, and a UFO rose up from the ground and got to above my head and a voice in the dream said to me, that's the height at which they lose control. And I thought, wow, that's amazing, that woke me up. Anyway, in the end, I went and got, uh, I went to see a counsellor about it because, and (laughs) this was so funny, he'd been helping my husband with anxiety and I went to see him and I kind of went in there and I said, listen, do you believe in aliens and UFOs? Because if you don't, there's really no point in me being here, this all really happened. And he then proceeded to tell me how he'd grown up in a UFO community on the coast in New South Wales. Oh, that's and that in,
1: I'll
3: say, and in actual fact, his wife had left him. I don't, he didn't tell me that then. He told me later on that his wife had actually, his first wife had actually left him. She thought he was an alien. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I <laughs> went home. Yeah, exactly, that this guy was, like it was so weird I went there with this huge problem and I listened to all the stuff he said and I was having trouble believing him and somewhere in that time space in that interview with him I just started to think oh you are an alien right um anyway I went home and I said to my husband I I think you're seeing an alien (laughs) And being my husband, the next time he went in, he said, my wife reckons you're an alien. Are you? (laughs) Do you know? The guy didn't say yes or no. He said along the lines of maybe. I mean, you know, who answers that like that? now? Yeah, now I get it. Um, A stream of non-ordinary events throughout a lifetime does, in a sense, make you alien to the rest of society so I understood why he couldn't do the yes or the no thing because literally his world was so broadened by his life that he didn't fit the human the normal human parameters he was telling me once about um, standing on St kilda beach in Melbourne with a couple of friends and Three UFOs came up out of the sea and went over the crowded beach, and they were the only three people who saw them. People just don't look, and they look away. And yeah, it was, he was a fascinating man. Mm.
2: That's interesting. So, so did, like, go on the other uh, this guy. Like, did he have children with his wife at all, or like?
3: I have no idea, no idea at all, and I don't know where he is now, and I don't have his permission to use his name, so yeah, I that's wouldn't. Okay. Yeah, um, but I know he's not there. He doesn't practice there anymore, so I don't know what happened to him. But um, he was interesting. That's which, what... and very heavily, yeah, very heavily involved. Which you find, I think, with a lot of long term experiences in trying to help people in some way, um, psychologically. In his case, and he's the one who told me that when the reptilian had had to open the link into my brain, which it had to do because like it's got this terrified child standing in front of it and um, that it created a link that stayed open. In other words, it opened my third eye to a certain degree and there's no closing that sort of thing, um, which is how he explained it to me.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. No,
3: fair enough. So where mm. was
2: um, UFO community, if you mind me asking, if you can remember?
3: No, he just told me it was um, on, the, on the coast in New South Wales.
2: Okay. I don't so, know this place. I want to find out where this place is.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you and me both. I mean, if I could go back in time, I would certainly have asked a lot more questions. And that's one of the interesting things I find about all these phenomena. You think of questions afterwards quite often, yeah. Than when it's happening. When it's happening, you're just too involved in the moment to. Um, I'm sure there'd be people who'd be much smarter than me who would think of a whole ream of questions, or would think that they would think of it. But really, you just you just caught up in assimilating it and, and listening to it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. like when people are like going, oh, I should have taken a photo, but you, you don't think mm-hmm. of taking a photo or a video. Like, not that they give you the opportunity, but, you know, yeah, you're, you're just so not, in the moment.
3: That's exactly right, Anthony. You're just in the moment and you don't think of it. And then you go, damn, why didn't I do that? Well, yeah. That's, so that's a couple. Of, it? Yeah, yes, isn't it? Yes, even on its own. And the fact that, you know, that's the person I went to for help with this. And he was like, and he wasn't much help he just said to me well at some level you gave them permission and i found that a fascinating thing too yes that's a touching one
2: that one there because like um going through my bit of history on the research on this sort of stuff people mm-hmm. like they talk about like i call it blood contract where it's like you know a bit of family involvement and stuff like that. and where at this point do they agree <laughs> that they and the family get involved in this like where's that point come into it like they don't remember doing any sort of agreements or like that and people say oh you're in a contract you're in an agreement with them you can end the contract or agreement it's like well how do you do you know even even agreed to it to begin with so yeah
3: yeah yes and that is what he implied that that i had agreed to all of this um it's a fascinating concept in itself isn't it That yeah To something, and I and at the time I was just peeved because I thought, well, I don't remember agreeing to it. Um, and I just felt like my whole life had been fiddled with, which you know is a a real sense of um outrage and abuse in having your memory wiped Mm. absolutely. Because
2: people have also mentioned too, like before you are even born, you're in that spiritual sort of essence, I suppose, if you want to call it that, Mm. and that's where you've agreed that you're going to be a part of this whole project.
3: Yes, yes. So. That's true. And nowadays that actually makes real sense to me. So if we were to look at, say, I can remember John Mack on a YouTube, Professor John Mack, and I'm sure everybody knows him, as the of your listeners, a Harvard psychiatrist who got into a lot of trouble for um, pretty much, well, he started off trying to debunk people like us, um, like me, and... And then he said, well, actually something is happening to these people. So fascinating guy. In one of his YouTube talks, he mentions that he was hearing more and more about reptilians and that many long-term abductees become interested in shamanism. This I found fascinating when I first came across it because I personally wasn't interested in shamanism but I virtually didn't have a choice. I always describe this as I was dragged kicking and screaming into a four year shamanistic apprenticeship um, in my 50s. And I'm so glad I did it. <laughs> And I am a shamanic practitioner so nowadays. So the two tend to go hand in hand. And as I said, even I wasn't even interested. Like he was saying, a lot of them were interested. I wasn't because um, I'd been a follower of a chap who, who was very anti any sort of dogma or um, ceremony or ritual stuff that you can just go straight to the source, which I believe you can, and you didn't need all of that. And I was so anti this. I, in the end, I did agree to do this. I had terrible pressure from what I just call spirit, and I don't know what other people want to call it, to do this course. And I agreed and I started and I was there. For the first six months, I did nothing in my head other than go, I don't know why I'm doing this. This isn't what I wanted to do. Why am I being made, made, literally made to do this? And in the end, uh, um. I had a dream of the the chap that I'd followed who said, you don't need all of this. And in the dream, he said, you know, he was working, as a healing people, he was a healer in life. Um, He was in a healing clinic in the dream world. And he said, come on, we'll go in the car and get a cup of coffee. And I hopped in the car with him in the dream world. And he, he looked at me and he said, the reason you needed to know you didn't need these things is so you would use them correctly in other words they're tools you don't want to end up idolizing the tool the shamanistic tool of ritual or drumming or whatever you don't idolize the tool you you, you're using them to focus your intent literally on creating a better world and, and you know greater harmony so you know don't get lost glorifying the the messenger the messenger and not miss the message was what he was saying so after that i relaxed and and had a thoroughly good time for the next few years and and still enjoy my shamanistic side um which in the end brought me to that brings me back to my reptilian friend right um now a couple of years ago i came across a book on facebook called a step away from paradise by thomas k shaw And it was about a Tibetan lama's journey to find the forbidden land. Now, most cultures, believe it or not, have got some form of Shangri-La hidden away in their shamanic traditions. You know, this promised land, this fabulous land, the Garden of Eden, whatever you want to call it. There's a number of different names for it and that it's, you know, an accessible place if you know how. And so this was a book about a Tibetan Lama in the, in the last century, not all that long ago, I think it was in the 50s, before 50s maybe, I'm not sure, who led several hundred people on a journey to open the door to go into this land. And it was in that book that I learned about Nagas. Now, Nagas are serpent-like creatures that um, they can appear as, as a snake. You know, you have the the famous, the one that sat over Buddha, sheltered him. Um, they can appear as half human, half snake, and they can appear as fully humanoid. And they feature strongly in the original Bon teachings of Tibet and have been incorporated into Buddhism itself so Nagas and also in Hinduism and if you look at most cultures once again you've got reptiles of some sort in the creation theory and that's when I thought oh that's why my experience is different to other people with this creature a reptilian's really the wrong word. What I met was a naga. They hang out in in they're um, the protectors of waterways, so near creeks and springs. Well, this was where I met a naga in my childhood. was near a creek and a spring. Both um, it would explain why it was always around, often around, because that was its home. Would be my interpretation, and it could travel between my solid matter and its world and as a little girl I'd say it had watched me many times hence the recurring nightmare of something big and green watching me it was it was in fact this amazing creature and Nagas can if they take a shine to you um, be quite beneficial and I think that many of the wisdom teachings that I received as a child were probably a result of that particular entity being present in my surroundings. Any questions? Yeah, no. Look,
2: it's it's interesting when you like mentioned, like reptilians and nagas. I like, know oh, nagas from uh, my gaming side of things, um, so a bit of an idea what they are. But uh, the way you described them is perfect um, from how I perceive them. Um, mm. But it also makes you wonder too, like how can you perceive something like this where others can't? Like like mm. it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, like, I'm not sure if you've heard the term um, tetrachromacy. Tetrachromacy, it's Tet-
3: something to tetra- do with color.
2: It is. Yeah. Tetrachromacy. It's um. People. Are, uh. I've had to do a bit of research on this, and I have, thanks to um Jamie Nelson um, who have contacted me in regards to this, because I've been asking questions like, how can people see things but others can't? Mm. And so obviously coming to seeing like you can see the reptilian there, but you have. your friend couldn't. Um, You know, it it sort of makes me think like you might have like some sort of form of tetrachromacy where uh, it's a condition where a person has like like a cone shape in their eyes. Um, They can see different textures of colours. So um, I'm not going to try and go through the whole thing here to try and explain it because I can't. (laughs) I'm horrible explaining things. But basically you're seeing colours differently to how a normal person perceives it. You're basically getting the opposite side of... um, a person who is colorblind in a sense because men can't get it they don't have this condition whereas i think if they do have this sort of condition that's where they are colorblind so you're getting like the the opposite effect mm-hmm. of that that's how i'm sort of thinking of it um so okay. I, I could be wrong on this but yeah
3: yeah yeah well it's a fascinating um hypothesis yes
2: yeah, yeah. and this is where i'm thinking because i've been also noticing too like a lot women are seem to be the the benefactor when it comes to this sort of thing when it comes to seeing odd objects, beings, such as, like, you know, being able to see things more better than what a male can. Um,
3: Yes, I think so too. And I think that's part of our place, you know, it's one of the feminine attributes, isn't it? I mean, for me, equality never meant the same as it always meant of equal value um, when you turn masculine and feminine. So, uh, yeah, that would make sense to me. would think that it is a feminine sort of thing to a large degree. Yeah, I also so, feel like that. Mm. And, and uh, men a lot
2: of researchers like have found this as well. Like Women seem to be a lot on the larger aspect of seeing these things where they can, you know, even when it comes to regards to paranormal or spiritual yeah. senses, like, you know, women seem to be a lot more attuned to something that more than yeah. men can.
3: Yeah, yeah. That, look, it, truly it does make sense to me because I think if you were, again, going to go into a lot of cultural stuff, that's the female role it's the wisdom role isn't it yeah um, yeah which is where the whole thing in the end took me because I think what happened as a child when I you know had that ontological shock and had to examine everything was I really became aware that what society taught about what was real wasn't necessarily true and that made me really thirsty to understand what was true and what was wise, for want of a better word. So it becomes like a lifelong hunt that the phenomena and the different phenomena, whilst they're fascinating, are just the catalyst for, well, I mean, you can call it spiritual expansion or just a wisdom expansion. I mean, just looking for, if no spiritual offends some people, which it does look at it as looking for truth and wisdom about reality and the nature of consciousness and the nature of light um, and life. And that's what happens. You become really fascinated with it all and it brings you to this stage of understanding that it really is just the one life itself. You know, we don't even know what life is and it's the one life in all life. And if we could begin to comprehend that as a society it's an opening for a lot greater compassion and kindness in the world um so to me you know i think one of the films said it that um oh I've forgotten the name of the film damn but it said that um people who were different in essence i've forgotten the word they use aren't the problem in society they're the answer and and i really and understand that because when you're talking long term you're not you're not somebody who's just had that momentary experience a week ago sort of thing but when you're talking talking long term and multiple stuff you just start to think about what's behind it all and how to make this a better kind of world
2: yeah and that's the biggest struggle of it all trying to figure out how to even do that like there's so much power in the world that sort of stamps you down to even try and begin to try and open up the world into a kind of society to even bring open to the, the spiritual side of things. Um a sense of control, you know, where governments want to try and not go into a political thing, but you know, governments rule the world in their way and it, we've even as growing up we've been shunned and stamped down on spiritual beliefs. Um churches are a big fault of that. Um stemming up the unnatural well, it's natural but For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Throughout history there, uh, as we're talking about uh, shamanism and all sorts of stuff. We had priests and all sorts of stuff throughout history. From villages, like, you know, like you're talking about like um the Aztecs, the Egyptians, they had their sort of their priests and their shamans and whatnot, and they were connected in the, into a spiritual realm well and truly beyond what we can perceive today. And mm. <clears throat> trying yeah. to get that understanding back is hard mm. because we're being so stamped out mm. on modern society.
3: Yes. Yeah, it really is. And um, neurodivergent, yes, divergence, that was the, the term they used in that movie, divergence, aren't they? problem with the answer yes um yeah but i realized that no matter how much you're scorned and look at you you reach an age like, like i said i'm 65 i don't actually care anymore what people think i'm determined to talk about these things that happen across all societies and throughout history i'm not going to be quiet about having led what's considered an unusual life you know um, because it literally is, the end game of it, is to make this world a better world. And and we're just so controlled by fear, aren't we? We're told, yeah. yeah, we're just told who we have to be frightened of and why we have to be frightened of them, and therefore we ought to really kill them. And we're all different. We're always being told we're different. Um, even, we don't even have modern language for um, the understanding of oneness. We We literally don't. We have to keep going connected. And I think that's a real trick because if you're connected, you're implying multiple or two or multiple things that are all got something in common. You're not you're not actually talking about that you've got you're the one thing um, with uh, with infinite diversity, of course. So we're just so controlled by fear that at some point you just have to go. You know what? I'd... I think it's just time I talked about all this stuff and and where it takes you and that its end path generally is to talk about peace and kindness and compassion and that we're not different, we're the same and I don't need to be frightened of everybody else on the planet. I need to find out ways to feed some of them who haven't got food and I need to actually really care about that and... Yeah, it comes back to that, doesn't it? And which, I mean, which links in with a lot of different um, spiritually transformative experiences, such as near-death experiences are renowned for coming back and changing their whole lives um, and being much more community-minded. So if the outcomes of of non-ordinary experiences are positive in terms of looking after others, then it's time to just, stop being frightened of talking about it. I think um, there's so much evidence, like anybody who's doubting this, who's listening it, you ought to look up the um, Bigelow Institute of Consciousness who did a, last year he did a um, competition for the greatest uh, proof of survival of consciousness after death and just the evidence gathered in all those essays, they're free, Um, they're just on the internet. You can go to the Institute and you can look them up and read everybody's submission, all the prize-winning submissions to that particular competition. And really there's enough evidence throughout history and then happening again today to prove that consciousness itself and individual consciousness as part of the whole oneness is, is the diversity of individuated consciousness survives, it survives all sorts of transformations. Um, I think it was Mark Twain who said that um, no amount of evidence though will ever persuade an idiot. And I think that that's the take we're gonna have to start putting that people who won't look at the evidence who just have already decided none of this can possibly happen and therefore I don't need to look at the evidence because only stupid people believe it anyway. They're actually the idiots, not us.
2: Yeah. That's a big thing, too. Like, you know, obviously, people have got their own perception, of how they want to perceive the world, and that, and they've obviously got their own ignorance on the whole matter. And,
0: mm. you
2: know, that's part of the growing up, too. Like, you know, we're, we're taught to perceive the world as it is today. You know, everything that we see is it. And yeah. thinking out that, like, um, going through the past uh, several decades, you know, there's been that stigma attached to the whole UFO, paranormal aspect of things. And everyone's been classed as a crazy person. So, of course, like, you know, that's how we've been perceived growing up going, don't talk about that. Don't talk about these people, you know, yep. because they're the crazy people who are against the norm. Um, the yep. normal thing is just going to work every day, doing your family, you know, just everything that we perceive as normal is the normal. Yes. Anything that questions above that is you're going to be classed as a crazy person. And obviously, but- we're getting away from that, but still, that's
3: that's, that's how it's been. It's still there and there's still a large element, although it is slowly changing, isn't it? Uh, it but, is. You know, there's a lot of scientists who suffer from science. And as, you know, a doctor I was talking to recently said, it's also, you know, doctors can't, when scientists can't talk about some of their own non-ordinary experiences because it might affect their funding and
2: That's right.
3: things like that, you know. So we're just ruled by, actually we, We've been put into a system across the planet. It wouldn't matter which country you were talking about here or what particular system. We have been put in a position where we have to put in charge of us the worst of us, the shallowest.
2: Yeah. It takes away all the credibility of your nature, basically.
3: Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And it's it's a shame. It's a shame and it has to stop. And it can only stop if more and more people talk about perhaps the outcomes, the spiritual outcomes of, of transformative experiences.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned before Bigelow. Like for those who don't know Bigelow, it's Bob Bigelow who's um, the big uh, big guy. Who's, uh, he bought out Skinwalker Ranch there and did a bit of research there. He, um, he's yep. also got the space um, exploration going on there. I, don't know, mm-hmm. I think he sold Skinwalker Ranch, but he did a lot there. We didn't get too much out of that, I don't think. Um,
3: a I'm lot of stuff happened. Yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff happened, but they, there was nothing. He's very he's very bent on stuff that he can prove, yeah. um, very focused on it. Um, there's this concept now that, you know, we have to bring science on board to make uh, the non-ordinary legitimate, in other words. Yeah. And with Skinwalker Ranch, he says himself, lots of stuff happened, but there was nothing that they could you know, they didn't have any control over it. They couldn't put laboratory experiments into it. There's nothing they did could measure and explain what was happening, and that's what throws a lot of you know people really, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is because I'm big on like you know evidence uh, is proof. You know, I'm yeah. big on that, and mm. and I feel like like okay, look, I, I can talk to hundreds of people about their experiences of that, and it's like that's great. Okay, look, I. I'm not judging you on your experiences there, but the fact is, like, you okay. can't prove that you had that experience. This is where the problem no. is. And,
3: yeah, of course it is. And of
2: course, like when people go, "Oh, look, I took a photo of this or something," you know, I took an uh, image of this, and unfortunately, like you know, because you get like a little bit of blop of light in the in the in the camera. Yes. There's no yes. evidence to say what you saw was it. Like that, it, it gives right. no credibility to your experiences, and it's not saying like you know what you saw wasn't genuine or whatever, but it's just. The evidence that you're giving, providing, doesn't give that extra bit of credibility to your story. So, right. like, when someone tells me like a straight story uh, without the evidence of a camera or a photo, or anything, I believe them more when it, instead of seeing a photo because a photo you can <laughs> you can sort of judge it more and you can sort of go, well, yeah. it doesn't prove anything to what you saw. So I'm sorry, I can't believe you because of your photo. Yeah, um,
3: yeah.
2: I'm probably yeah. explaining that really badly, but <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you get the no, gist of what I- I'm trying to say.
3: Oh, I totally do, and it's one of the huge frustrations of the non-ordinary is that you haven't got that type of proof. I mean, some mediums do, um, you know, veridical stuff. Um, There are some near-death experiences where there is, again, you know, absolute concrete proof. Um, It's why I recommended reading all the answers to his competition, the prize winners, because there is so much proof, which is what he wanted. Yep. Of the survival of con- of consciousness, so it is there. I think I would add, and what it, and what is this year's challenge is, interestingly enough. And I would add that um, <sighs> proof can be spiritual in nature or wisdom in nature. Um, what he's looking for this year is ways of t- uh, talking with non incarnate intelligence in terms of wisdom acquisition and for me like I say that's the end line of it all the experience stuff is fascinating fabulous and I love it and you know I don't want to ever not be in awe of how magical the universe is and I think one of my favorite quotes is you know with the believing and not believing it's um, that believing and not believing is a process of ignorance just keep an open mind you know, yeah. just keep it in yeah. mind. Um, but for me, evidence can be actual change in somebody's approach in terms of whether they just start using more heart energy than than not. You know, they become kinder as a result of something. Yeah. More compassion in the world. So that's evidence of something having transformed that person from being who they were into somebody more interested in compassion and kindness.
2: Yeah, unfortunately some people have to go and get to that point in their life where they have to experience something so traumatic or something to change their perception of yeah. life. And that's the unfortunate part. And it's like, well, how can we sort of break away from that? Like so people don't have to go and experience that sort of point to go and further their you know, the um, compassion in life
3: itself. Yeah. I don't know. I do I do think there is a small study and it'd probably be interesting to do a bigger study in this. There's a small study that suggested that people who listened to a a lot of near-death experiences in the end started to have similar outcomes to the experience of themselves and that is that they became less interested in material things, more interested in their community and how to serve their community. Um, Yeah, so some of they changed their lives as a result of listening to the experience. So I think that's a, a bit of a beacon. We, we tell ourselves we have to experience something to to have a change, but maybe if we listen enough to people who have experienced something, it will give us room for our own growth in some way.
2: Yeah. So the other thing is too, like, got, we were talking before, like, the stigma that's attached to us too, like, people mm. aren't going to believe these people or they're going to think they're whack jobs. Like, how can you sort mm. of convince these people to, like, um, who are entirely skeptical? I hate the word skeptical, but you know, it's mm. uh, like how can you convince these people who just don't want to perceive anything of that sort of uh, perception of life mm. or of that? I'm trying to, think, I'm trying to think how long it was. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like how can you convince these people actually seem to actually even like to think to even look into that? Like because we're so. But
3: this- I think you have to accept that there are people who are never going to in this incarnation anyway look into that you know the skeptics are that t- well skeptics are wrong well because skeptic is open minded um but people who suffer from you know that fundamentalist approach to it you know should like, we call
2: uh,
0: them the idiots
3: yeah well I'd love to I really would. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a very compassionate term is no. it <laughs> But really, I mean, you know, if you won't examine evidence and there's so much of it, it's it's just sad. It's, it's sad. It's it sad is. that there are people who can't bear to confront a less um, shallow existence than the one that they're having, which is mind-boggling really, isn't it? it? It's another way of mind-boggling for me. You know, they find my stuff mind-boggling and I get called crazy. But seriously, I find it mind-boggling that you can't look at evidence um you know well, i shouldn't use names should i but like brian cox is one for me i just look at him and think how can somebody so intelligent be so stupid <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, it, that's the other thing too like when you look at it like the the world perceived like like you know we, we take a lot of um pride in our scientists and people who like in that higher regard of society who are trying to do all the researches of things in the world and whatnot and yet all this intelligence going to waste where they can't see the evidence in front of them about, you know, UFOs, abductions, you know, all that sort of, like, even paranormal. And yet they all have the scientific mind, like, okay, yeah, sure, we can't prove what they are, but how can so many people around the world be having these same similar experiences there to ignore that?
3: I know, because they condemn them as being stupid and easily misled, um, hallucinating, uh, you know, they just they can't bear to look, can they? The real yeah. thing there is that they're being confronted with something that they wouldn't want to be real because they wouldn't know how to deal with it. And and I guess at that point you just become a bit sorry for them. Yeah,
2: because yeah. even then, like, not everyone's crazy, not everyone's on drugs or hallucinating. Not. Like, these everyday people who are normal-day mm. everyday people are experiencing yep. something if they're lucky enough. Um, yep, that's you know, right. it's like, yeah, that's right. But yet, do they still get ignored? And obviously, like yeah, that, obviously but, that's the reason why we're sort of like reaching out to people to try and break the stigma and make people realise that, like, well, hey, well, there is things happening around here that need to be given some attention to sort of try and help bring reality of what is actually out there.
3: What's there, and 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 the possibilities inherent. Well, this is again, if we go back to Robert Bigelow, what he wants to know is, um ways of of talking and getting wisdom from these energies that help humanity in the next few decades which makes me led me to think that he thinks we're in very deep trouble on this planet and i think we are i really do and i think that the answers lie to a certain degree in people who've had spiritually transformative experiences and that's a great way to look at them and then you'll get somebody who doesn't like the word spiritually so wisdomly transformative experiences you know just truth people who've learned that there is a, a much deeper truth to our existence and to consciousness and its possibilities than we've been led to believe and they don't want us to believe any of that do they the people in power and I know that sounds like a real you know kind of conspiracy theorist thing and i'm really not um but the the way the world is structured it is around the material and about money and being kept in a a mind frame of lack and yeah Yeah. it's a big jail in a sense
2: well it is like you look at um the way australia is going now like you know we'll we'll just come out of a you know world pandemic or if you want to i'm not going to go talk about covid because um covid was a it's a it's a Bit of a no go zone with the YouTube and that when it comes on YouTube, <laughs> they don't like talking about COVID, let's be honest. So I'm going to stay away from that. But but yeah, obviously, we're in the pandemic of COVID, and yep. you know, everyone was struggling. You know, Australia or well, in particular, everyone was struggling like because we were all yes. got shut down in hiding houses and all sort of stuff. And yep. then as soon as COVID started, like, you know, we started getting on the better end of COVID, and yet everyone all the prices hiked up. You know, the reality yep. of Living just got harder once again after everyone's just been struggling for the last three years, or it was three years we went through COVID.
3: Yeah, yeah, it <clears throat> you know, and that.
2: it's like, well, how can you just do that? Like, everyone's on their last legs trying to survive, you know, trying to get through life and without the pressures mm. of life dragging them down. Yet they go and throw us deeper into the hole. They're trying to try and get back up into the hole. Like, it's like, why keep huh. digging us deeper where we can't get back out?
3: I know, I know. My husband says it's just harvest time for the banks, which it is. It's yeah. harvest time for the banks. It's happened I before and that's what's happening here. And, and, and I think I to know. think it's not um, constructed in that manner would be perhaps not smart. Uh, it, it's designed for the banks to, to um, make a profit, isn't it? Yeah. And then, mm.
2: like, obviously, because all the you know life's problems is hitting everyone down, there that draws everyone away from what's right. actually happening in reality. Like, yes, um, like, it
3: does. It yeah. keeps us focused on that, doesn't it, Anthony? It, it does. really keeps us focused on the lack in our lives and having to just survive to find the money to pay the bills, to pay the mortgage, to to eat. Um, if you're a pensioner, um, it's just all designed to keep us very focused on. Basic survival, wherever
2: we are, yeah, and then wherever. that draws away the attention from people like you know, like people trying to who are like us, you know, we're open to the whole concept of what's actually out there. It keeps those people who might be interested or curious their attention away mm-hmm. from the reality of they could potentially seeing UFOs flying around, but because their mind is so focused on everyday living, they're missing yeah. all these little signs of reality yeah. that's actually out there, you know. That, that's yep. what I'm trying to
3: get they at, are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I can give you a great synchronicity here that is going in the direction we're talking. So a couple of days ago I was walking around and I came across a bee on the pavement who was obviously in the process of dying and I very carefully moved said bee up into a tree so it didn't get squished on the pavement. And then a bit later in the day I came across another bee um, dead on the pavement and then um, I came across one dead outside my front door on the pavement. And at the time I just thought, this is really strange to see three bees in this condition in a day I wonder if they've been spraying locally and then I I didn't think about it anymore right and then this morning before our talk I was um I was reading a book I'm into at the moment called hang on I've got to get the right name for this book because it was quite it's quite good deep weird isn't that a fabulous (laughs) title I don't know if you've heard of it deep weird and it said it's it's um the varieties of high strangeness experiences edited by Jack Hunter and it was about synchronicity okay and I was reading it and the television was on in the background and while I was reading it about synchronicity I suddenly thought of these bees for no real reason right I just suddenly thought of these bees and I thought well that was very synchronistic finding three of them but what does it actually mean okay and then I I stopped reading and turned around to listen to the news and and immediately they came on and they were interviewing a woman in Melbourne who's collecting um donations for the victims of the earthquake um in Turkey and Syria and she's collecting you know sleeping bags and Blankets in particular because people are freezing there. And and doing a great job and totally enthusiastic and was complimenting us on how many compassionate citizens we have because she's being overwhelmed with donations of new blankets and sleeping bags and has a great many to send. And then I realised that the man was calling her B and that on her blouse she had a very large bee brooch pinned over her heart and before we when I were talking any of this weird I thought well there's my answer you know the way we're being at the moment is killing us that we're dying off and then there's this beautiful woman and she's got a bee over her heart right and I thought so if my being becomes heart-centered then we will thrive we will do well
2: yeah, it's a great thing what people are doing. Like, obviously, that's another thing, too. Like, when you think about it, like, well, there's got to be a lot of tragedy for people to sort of come together. Mm. And I'm not trying to take away from what people are doing, like, in that time, you know, but it's, it, it does sort of seem that way, like, you know, for there to be a harmony in the world for some sort of peace, you know, and there has to be some sort of giant cataclysm or something that's
3: but it's drawing people together. Proof. But it's
2: still lovely, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
3: it's lovely proof, though, that that's still available that and, and to me that was the whole point of that you know the dead bees and the and the and the lady named B and her bee, broach, and I just thought yeah you know it what are we being you know so, so shamanically you're trained I would see I see all that as a shaman right I pick up a bee that's dying and move it and, but I see the synchronicity and then it's your job to make sense of that synchronicity for you which is what I did by realizing well you know the way the world's being, and it has been for the last, you know, decades, well, 100, 200 years, a couple of hundred years, anyway, a long time, is not a way that's going to lead us forward in a healthy state. No. No. And that we need to return to heart energy. Heart's got to rule over money in the end, doesn't it? Yeah. And
2: which I think yeah. it does in a lot of sense too. Like there's like a lot of people are coming together to sort of help out with this, like yeah. who's obviously organising it. So there are a lot of compassionate people out there that are willing to go yeah. and give up. Like even though, yes. though they could be struggling themselves, you know, they are willing to go and sacrifice their own yeah. um, their money or, you know, something that they can give that they might have needed themselves. You know, that's the greatest part of sacrifice. Um, yeah. So like it is amazing. Like, there's still that sort of concept in the world. But like I was saying, like, I'm not trying to take away from the, what people are are potentially doing but oh it just seems God. like there's got to be there's some sort of tragic event that sort of draws people together which is I think it's a horrible way of looking at it
3: it is it is and and that's really what we have to relearn, isn't it to to do it just as part of everyday life to to help someone and just to realize that how little it takes I think you know you can change somebody's whole day by smiling at them yeah it doesn't take you know it doesn't cost you anything to be just kind, you know. We were talking about this in one of my groups, actually, about just um, you know, smiling at people, um, helping somebody lift down something down from a shelf in the supermarket, all that sort of stuff, actually impacts and because it, it it's a spreading thing because people realize oh, other people do care, and then they themselves feel that they've got permission to care more too.
2: Yeah. That's the thing. We just gotta like we're just gonna get that compassion back for human lives or even just life in general. We get the compassion about back about for the world itself. Like yes. I know we need to everyone needs to survive and we all want the, our um wonderful, glorious things that we need to want to achieve and all sorts of stuff. But you know, we still need to have that compassion about life itself.
3: Yeah, we really do, because that's all in the end we are. And again you look to near death experiences, which you know in almost invariably will have that um life review situation and where you're judging yourself and what you're judging really is um, how kind you've been, you know, where, where you've, what you've done, how it's affected others and even people you haven't met in some cases in that scenario, um, you know, it, it isn't about how much money you had in the back end and it isn't about whether no one that I've heard of ever mentions being asked about their university degree or what their profession was. Um, anything along those lines, its really gets down to the nitty-gritty of how much have we cared or allowed ourselves to show that caring.
2: Yeah, it, it all really depends on the like, person you are as is. Like titles don't mean anything. As long as you're no. that person that is, mm-hmm. is showing that sort of compassion and you can be kind or whatever, it yeah. doesn't matter who you are. It's just as no. long as you're a kind person to everyone else.
3: That's right. Yeah, Totally. It is a really, really matters and, and it's that old thing about, you know, the greatest thing that you can give the world is your own enlightenment and that's true and it might be, it, you mightn't realise it until you're not here just what a difference it makes to work on who you are and what you can change about your own beliefs, for instance, about how to behave in the world. Just yeah. work on you. Mm. Yeah,
2: and whatever you can bring to the world as well. That's that's yep. good thing too. So yep. tell us about your group that you've got. Yeah. I mean, You've mentioned that oh. you've um, run a bit of a group, and you've done some books as well. I You wrote some stuff there. Yes, Tell us about I... that.
3: Yeah, sure, sure. Um, gosh, I wrote a book ages. I wrote two books that aren't available anymore, actually, a long time ago. Just before I started um, the shamanism course, I um, was told by spirit to write down all the things that I could remember that had happened in my life, or as many as I could manage anyway. And I thought, all right, I'll do that. So I wrote a little book called Strange Tales of an Ordinary Life, which isn't available now, but I occasionally share the things from that in a blog on my website. But I didn't understand why, and that was because once I started the shamanism course um, the next year, which I didn't know about at that stage, things just really ramped up. Yeah, my life really ramped up. It was already fairly entertaining, but it got a lot more entertaining and has remained that way. So there's that and um, I think I wrote a book called The Dragon Whisperer's Guide to Love and I consider myself a dragon whisperer if you think of (laughs) Nagas. But the the most recent ones have been a trilogy called Waking Wisdom is the name of the trilogy. Um, The first one is uh, What the Cat Saw. Book two is We Are One and book three is um, Little Pearls and Little Gems. So the first two books are really about presenting my credentials in a shamanic sense and and in the sense that we're talking about today's neurodiversity, you know, all the unusual things that have happened to me. And they're my credentials for the wisdom work that I share in Little Pearls and Little Gems, the third book, which is really just uh, full of things that I've heard from spirit uh, about life in general in many you know so it's full of blessings and prayers and just spiritual sentences and I am teachings and oneness teachings it's just what I download pretty much whenever I go for a walk it just floods in and I write it down sometimes it appears in dreams so that's you know you can and I have a blog on that page too so the website is one.com. And that'll take you to the website and you can buy the books there. Yes, please do. And um, <laughs> and read the blog, which I must get on with. And, yeah, I also run um, a weekly group. One week it's um, discussing dreams. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners probably don't know, but in some in some languages in the world, um, shaman and dreamer are pretty much the same sort of word, word. Um, you know, if you're a shaman and you're not a dreamer as well, I don't really know how it works. But so yeah, once a week, once a fortnight, we discuss dreams. And <clears throat> pardon me. And the alternate week is um, actually a few years ago, I was I was quite ill and I, and I was um, I'd had a mastectomy me and I was undergoing um, chemo and uh, for that, and the spirit said to me, we want you to start. Gosh. And I went, oh, okay, Um, you know, what is that?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm wondering what it is myself.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. They know I love a good acronym, right? And it it sort of snapped back at me, gatherings over strange happenings. Ah. Yeah, and I thought, isn't that a a great name for it? So, Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I have a GOSH group once a fortnight on Zoom. So they're both on Zoom platforms and they're global and I've got just a small group, they're small groups, but we're very, we're close, it's like a family now and new people are welcome. Um, yeah, and it's great. Once a fortnight we talk about anything and everything that that happens in the, in the history of man, really. Yeah, just amazing things that have happened in people's lives. And I think one of the things that has really, um, I've enjoyed from having facilitated that group is that over time, people who sort of didn't really think they had any experiences themselves now are regularly sharing experiences. And the, and I guess this goes back to our point of like, how do you have this happen? You talk about it and you give people permission to experience it without being called crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But it's it's quite good. I love my gosh group and I'm glad I started it.
2: Yeah, that's wonderful what you're doing. That's awesome. That's... I might have to go and get in there one day and um, have a bit of listen to people's experiences because I love listen to, you know, the strange yeah. happenings as, as you've called it. So that's, yeah. that's awesome. That's wonderful. I, like, I'll put a link in the description of the show there so people can find where you are and um, if they want to get in contact with you and all of stuff and um, yeah. let people go and follow their own paths, really.
3: Yeah, they can get in touch with me and I'll let them know the details of how to be on the Zoom groups. And um, and the other thing I've done just recently is I, I got in involved with um, Michael Nay of Beyond Being Human and I've done a few um, interviews with, with them and one for um, the Conscious Awakening Network, which I think will I think I've think i done two for that. One of them's not up yet and the other one is. So there's one there on our shamanic consciousness. Um, that's on beyondbeinghuman.org. You can have a look up there too, some really interesting stuff happening there.
2: That's awesome. Well, look, I don't think we've covered everything that you've experienced throughout your life um, yet. So, we we'll might go and get you back on at some point if you're happy to come back on. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Sure. Love to. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that you can talk about in the weird and wonderful world.
2: <laughs> isn't there? It's just a, a, a never ending wormhole, isn't it? Just like you think you're on yeah. one path here and thinking, oh, yeah, I might get something here, or like a bit of an answer. And then just yeah. you find something that's going to take you down a completely different path. And you're like, oh, geez, all right. I'm going to follow down this one here and then follow down here. and. You just never yeah, get I the answers that you want.
3: <laughs> I, I know, but you keep you keep going and you keep broadening who you are and what you're capable of in the end. Because of, of beliefs, you know, but what you believe creates your reality. It creates your perception of reality. So, you know, as one of them my contacts said to me, the less you believe, the more you experience. And that's true. The less you believe, or disbelieve, because they're the same things. If you don't believe something, you're not going to experience it either. And if you believe one thing can't exist because of another, then you're not going to experience it. So the less you believe, the more you can experience. We forget that beliefs are just hypotheses about how things work. They're not the truth.
2: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, people get told what to believe. And so, obviously, yeah, like you're saying, they're going to lose that perception of anything else that is possible. Yeah, that's and right. And that's what I was mentioning before, like, you know, we're like, well, that's where I – I hate churches. Like, I'm not going against people who want to have a religious view on things. Yeah. But for me personally, I feel like the modern-day religions stamped away all that because of the belief, you know, we've got to believe in God, believe in Jesus. Mm. Um, but yeah. they took away everything that we were possible to even believe for our own selves, you know, our own concept yes. of our lives, basically. And that's, that's where I'm against <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> so anyway –
3: yeah, yeah. Look, I truly, I know some really open-minded Christians that, you know, might help you there. But, <laughs> um, I've, yeah, it, it's just that it's such an orchestrated way about what you can believe. And I think what I don't like is it doesn't encourage people to have their own personal relationship with the all that is. You know, it's That's always right. putting an authority between you and it, and there is no such authority necessary.
2: Um well, it's just getting in the way. Yeah. See so the thing is I'm I'm sort of on the mindset now, like I've talking to a lot of people there who have sort of dived down this whole thing um in regards to religion as well. And okay, obviously if you go through history of religion, they all yep. pretty much mold into the same person or the same beliefs roughly. They've obviously just yep. changed names and different bit of stories here to go and change the the um the events or whatever you know, like to their own agendas. Um nice. but yet when you look at a belief of a God system or something like it. it doesn't matter who it is or who you want to call it. The universe itself is its own God because we believe in the universe. The universe has its own power. and So instead yeah. of saying, oh, God or Jesus or Allah or, you know, anything of that nature, it just say look the universe. They, it, yeah. It's its own power force, basically. So yes. it's however you want to perceive your God. Yes. It's just that you now... Ages of um, society, we put a, a term to it, a a picture to it, basically, and a name, uh, so we know what we're all talking about. But then they also warped it to their own agendas to for a sense of control. Whereas yeah. you don't care about the control side of things, and like sure, the churches have done their own good things, but they've also done really bad things. But yes. if you want to look past all that sort of stuff, there and just believe in a in a, a God self, basically, the universe is you. Believe in yourself, your own universe. You are in control of your universe in that sort of nature. That makes
3: sense. It totally does. Yeah, that's another thing that was said to me. You, you know, which I really love is, um, you were made by perfection, of perfection, in perfection. Meaning that you're the, you are the universe. It's exactly what it means, and it's perfect. And we're told we're not. Of course, that's one of the things about religion. If people really, really um repel are repelled by the thought of being told they're perfect they they lead backwards they're so indoctrinated that you can't be perfect but what you are is perfect and and what's covering that perfection are the um well sins separation induced nonsense really um yeah great acronym for sin so we believe we're separate from source we can't be it, it we are it it created us we're made of it and therefore what we're really doing is not learning how to be perfect but how to uncover that perfection that already exists within us
2: yeah and yeah. We, once we get that we can probably find that we get a perfect harmony and peaceful yes. world basically you know once we find yes. lot that but Yes, but we've got
3: to do it one at a time, don't we? We'll have to hope for the the hundredth monkey thing. You know, if enough of us are doing it and making that our intention and our focus to discover that and to unfurl it, um, eventually it'll reach a tipping point where everybody will go, hey, those guys have got something together there. Perhaps I'm going to have a look at that. Hmm, Have a look at me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully we'll get there one day. Hopefully. Probably not in this lifetime, but we'll eventually get there.
3: Eventually, yes, because it's probably what we actually are. Um, I mean, from the point of perfection, it's probably just ex- unfurling itself into a different form in terms of slowing down vibration. So it'll, it's a process which we're involved in and probably quite willingly, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's about as far as I can go today. Um, so, look, it's wonderful <laughs> having you on the show and I'm definitely going to get you back on there so we can continue on down this path of um, basically going through your experiences still and, like, how you've gone about with this shamanism because of shamanism is very interesting in my perspective because obviously you know it's something that's been in the world for centuries in society or not society but you know like in human civilizations you know there's some sort of shamanism or spiritual awareness you know which is interesting like and we're still like we're uncovering that, that in today's world and that's what we sort of need to get an idea of so i'd love to get you back on the show talk more deeper into this whole shamanism thing and your experiences if you're willing yeah
3: Sure. Yeah. I'd love it too. It's always fun to talk about this stuff. So I'd love to come back. Thanks,
2: Anthony. No, look, thank you very much. Lee. It's great for having you on. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. And that will do it folks for this episode. I hope you enjoy the show and don't forget if you or someone you know has had an encounter, please get in touch with me to be featured on the podcast. If you're a fan of the show, you can support the podcast by purchasing some awesome merchandise that's available on our online store via the link provided in the episode description. So thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you on the next Encounter Down Under. Hooroo!